Welcome to the Eat Local Central New York podcast. Listen up, beer lovers. I hope you're ready for this week's episode because I am sitting down and talking with the two mics from IBU Brewery in North Syracuse. Drink what you like. So many, yeah. so many brewers get wrapped up in this idea that you know they're they're creating this wonderful thing, and they are, yeah. and and a lot of them create for themselves. One of the things that um, some brewers who shall remain unnamed need to understand is you're no longer brewing for yourself when you when you begin a business it's no longer about you sure you can make beer for yourself and that's great yeah. but if it's not going to sell then it's not going to keep the lights on it's not going to pay the landlord it's not going to buy more malt for the next batch i've been a huge fan of ibu for quite some time and i've spent some time hanging out with these guys and getting to know their story and just enjoying everything that they're making and putting out to the public and i can't think of uh, two guys, two people in the beer industry that I'd rather sit down and chat with about the food and beverage industry, about beer, about pretty much anything uh, other than these two. And so I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, do me a huge favor, hit the subscribe button. That way you are up to date the second the next episode drops. And then leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the Local CMY podcast. Today's episode is just part one of a two-part series we have with the two mics from IBU. In this week's episode, we're talking about their origin story, how they got started, talking about just making different beers. It's a, it's a great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Without further ado, here is part one of my conversation with the guys from IBU. All right, so we're uh, sitting here at IBU. What's up, what's up? In Maddydale. How we doing? With the two mics, talking about beer, right? One of our favorite subjects. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know, and it's like when, when I did the podcast here with Jimmer, you know, one of the first things is like how your story, how you got started. So can you tell us that? Well, let's see. So started homebrewing in 03. Um, good buddy of mine, Saul Kleinberg, who owns uh, Griffin Hill Brewing yeah. out in Onondaga. He, Shout out uh, to Saul. I met him at the, uh, at the regional market like yep. three weekends ago. And uh, it was 7.30 in the morning yep. and trying beer. And, best uh, way to wake up. And Breakfast of champions. You know, I had his, uh, it is, I had his New York golden ale. One of his betters. Holy cow, yeah, man. Dude, he's, uh, what I love about him is, uh, he's a craftsman. Yeah. Like he, he does a few things and he does them really well. Um, doesn't have a tap room. Um, just a little half acre hop yard and just crafts beer. Yeah. He is the quintessential, um, craft beer guy. Um, but anyway, so 2003, um, I moved to Syracuse, didn't even know he was living here. We ended up bumping into each other downtown at Oktoberfest of all places. Um, he got me into homebrewing. Um, it was a nice hobby. Um, I, I ended up taking a job where I was traveling 70, 80% of the year. And so I would make beer, disappear for a couple months, come home and it'd be ready for me, which was fantastic. <laughs> um, fast forward 10 years. Um, I had an idea for a brewery. Um, was working at Lockheed at the time and was uh, lucky enough to get laid off. I know that sounds weird, but um, I was never going to take those golden handcuffs off. I was never going to walk away from that paycheck. And so Lockheed was nice enough to lay me off. Um, and the, my uh, wife, Lauren, God bless her, um, 
said go for it. Hmm. Um, I actually got a call back after she said go for it, and I started the process and started you know legal papers for incorporation and searching for a building. Hmm. About three months later, Lockheed called me back and offered me my job back. Really? Yeah. And she said, I will fucking murder you if you take your job back. <laughs> so um, honestly, she's she's really been instrumental. Um, I, I'd be working at Lockheed right now if it wasn't for her. Hmm. Um, so again, I was in the middle of my MBA program that Lockheed was paying for. Um, I was using uh, my business idea. Anytime we would have a uh, project in a class hmm. uh, where we had to come up with our own business, yeah. well, I... I kind of had this idea, so um, <laughs> I ran it through some iterations, um, ended up with a business plan, um, and started the, ser- started the search for the building. Um, June 2015, found this place. <laughs> it was a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was literally a shithole. <laughs> um, gutted it, uh, uh, rehabilitated it, turned it into a brewery, um, and we opened our doors December of uh, 16. Wow. So how long was it uh, when you're in here making beer and everything from when you first opened up? Uh, so again, so we took possession of the building of, um, in June of 15. Um, the, the gut took a lot longer than I thought it would. Um, uh, all the previous tenants had just built on top of each other. Yeah. So there was electrical on top of electrical, gas on top of gas. Um, there's no, there was a single toilet closet. Hmm. So there was one... Uh, closet drain in the whole building so we had to cut in we had to install trench drains um we had to insulate the building it's a block building with no insulation so we had to frame walls in front of all of the block in order to insulate it Hmm. um skin that um it took again about a year and a half to to get off the ground make it look like your best friend's garage exactly or basement (laughs) depending on on your point of view um so yeah so it took us about a year and a half and you know during that whole rehabilitation process we were running our licensing Going through the New York State Liquor Authority, going through the Federal Tax and Trade Bureau, uh, um, again, incorporating, um, doing all the the paperwork necessary to start a brewery. Yeah. So how much, I mean, walk me through kind of your mindset in opening up this business. Are you doing a lot of market research? Are you trying to figure out, is Maddie Dale the best place? Should I go, like, are, are those calculated decisions you're making when you're opening, or is it just kind of like everything's falling in? So it was, I would say it's 50-50. So I definitely did um, my um, macro market research in order to make sure that it was a viable business. Um, the National Brewers Association is great with that. They have all sorts of hmm. industry and market data. And, um, so, you know, while, again, while I was doing my MBA, I was analyzing that data. I was making sure that this wasn't, you know, going to be silly move. Um, you know, everybody likes to talk about oversaturation. I think we're far from that. Really? Uh, oh, without well, a doubt. I guess I get that. Cause you know, I've t- we've talked about it before mm-hmm. and you know, your view and most other craft brewers view is it's not about competing against each other. It's about going after kind of the big, big cooperation, cooperation. Right. Correct. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, um, the, to, to, you know, let's j- jump back and yeah. finish the, the previous question. Um, so the location of Mattydale, I found this place on Craigslist, if you can did believe it. Did you really? I did. So I worked with a commercial broker for about six months, and every place he showed me was either too small, too expensive, hmm. um, too industrial, um, you know, a place that had zero foot traffic. And so I, I needed, I needed this, this Goldilocks of space, hmm. affordability, and um commercial viability and and i gave up on the um 
commercial broker after six months. Um, and I was just, you know, I was on Craigslist one night for something completely unrelated. And I was like, I saw that they had a commercial properties section and found this place. Um, I arranged a showing. (laughs) It was was bad. Like, so, I mean, when this place was, when I found this place, there were walls right here. Oh, really? So that was the front office. The t-shirt shop would sell out of the front. Hmm. And then they had offices back here, and then the main, our main production space. There was actually a wall that ran under that steel beam. Oh wow! So, and then I walked back there. Once I saw that, that was it. Hmm. I was like, I know I can do this <laughs> here. Um, mag- this this location, you know, uh, I can understand some people turning up their nose. I think it's just a, a neighborhood well, need of a purpose. On Route 11, we get a lot of foot traffic mm. across yeah. the roads. So. Without a doubt, and we're 81's right there. It's a perfect. You know, when I talk to when I talk to people that are trying thinking they want to start a business, mm-hmm. especially if it's in food and beverage, there's two people I always talk about on models to follow, and that's you and it's Paul Valencia, Glazed and Confused. Yeah, because both of you like kind of built it. You know, you didn't like start out of the gates with this massive. We're gonna be in every restaurant, and we're gonna have kegs everywhere, and we're gonna have beer everywhere. And Paul didn't start out with his donut shop out of the gates yeah. day one. He didn't one. want to be Dunkin' Donuts exactly. next week. Yeah, You know, you built it slowly and built upon that. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I always, I, I get a number of people in who are like, I want to start my own brewery. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> Do it. Um, and and you know, my, my advice is always um, grow organically, grow at a pace that allows you, as, you know, as we take on new challenges, you know, we start canning, we start distribution, we start doing these things that lie outside the purview of just making beer, which is all I really knew when I started yeah. this business. You're going to make mistakes. That's, it's a given. And so the smaller that you are, the smaller your mistakes will be, the less costly, right? So, you know, if we sometimes screw up and we dump a batch. Yeah. Dumping two barrels, the 62 gallons is a lot less costly than dumping 10 barrels, yeah. 310 gallons, which is less costly than dumping 20 barrels. And so, you know, we, we, uh, we get our lessons learned. Uh, we take our licks and we do it when we're small so that when we do grow, hopefully we're not making the same mistakes that we made in the past and we're going to make mistakes. You know, we're going to grow, we're we're gonna expand, and when that happens, we're gonna make mistakes, but hopefully not the same ones we did when we were little. Yeah, there's always that new, uh, the new brewing equipment challenge when you gotta Without hone your system in. You know, yeah. once we upgrade, it's gonna be a little. We're gonna be all thumbs for a yeah. month, <laughs> and yeah. that's and, and that's the way that it goes. Correct, and so, but at the same time, you know. And one of the things I love about Michael is he's a process guy. I always, I always tell him he missed his calling as an industrial engineer. He would have been, he would, he would have been a shit hot industrial engineer. He can just look at something and understand how, how can I do this with less effort, with less time, less yeah. steps, and that's that's what process engineering is. And so you know we're honing that. And the, yes, we'll have to learn new equipment and its idiosyncrasies, but the process is the same. Yeah, right? but it's fun while you're doing it yeah it doesn't feel like work it's just yeah. you go in you you brew beer you make people happy all right you know so mike when did you start here at IBM? uh i started december of 
17. 17. Okay. Yeah, so it was like uh, a year after he opened. Yeah. Uh, he was a customer first. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to come in here and hound Mike to brew a beer with him because he has a uh, BOP. So I was like, hey, man, I want to want to brew a cereal beer because it was like the trend <laughs> then and so we did like a cocoa cocoa puff beer yeah and uh or a reese's reese's puff cereal beer yep. hmm. and the first day it was just of brewing here it was a mess it was fucking <laughs> so and that's the thing with cereal beers and i'm i'm still very sad that that we make them i mean I, my cust- our <laughs> customers love them yeah once exactly. a year that's it i'll do it double day that's it that's uh, why i'm afraid to tell you that my favorite beer you make is c's get degrees so that's not a cereal beer i know it's not a cereal beer yeah but i feel like when i'm talking to a real brewer that i should be saying i want this extra stout weird no thing no, that, no. i mean every everybody's got their own yeah, preference without yeah. a doubt and so I, I love this beer also it's all new york state yeah uh, it's 1886 malt house shout out to them yep. and then we also use chad Miggs's hops out from, at the vineyard uh, the vineyard yep. and i i try to we're trying to transition from a uh you know into a farm brewery so yeah. we're trying to find out what products we can push out there that are all 100 percent new york state that are you know, yeah. just like our cream ale. Our cream ale is 96% New York State, mm. and it's, you know... Only because we haven't found a source for flake corn in right. New York State. And mm. and our, our uh, intro to craft beer, that's, you know, if somebody says they want Bud Light Blue, that's what they drink, we give them that, and nine out of ten times they're like, yep, that's my beer. Really? Yep. yep. And, and, it's, and, and you talk about, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, embarrassed to admit that I like C's. I should want this crazy maniacal stout or this you know <laughs> blow your mind bitter ipa at the end of the day and i you know i try and tell my customers this drink what you like yeah you know um i i always my my favorite example is i like um aerosol cheese from the can <laughs> and my wife looks at me like what are you doing and and <laughs> i like real cheese yeah, yeah. so so i like real cheese as well but i also like you know paste cheese that comes out of a pressurized can so does my dog Mike. and so well and, and so i think i'd like your dog and um it's drink what you like so many yeah. so many brewers get wrapped up in this idea that you know they're they're creating this wonderful thing and they are yeah. and and a lot of them create for themselves one of the things that um, some brewers, who shall remain unnamed, need to understand is you're no longer brewing for yourself. When you when you begin a business, it's no longer about you. Sure, you can make beer for yourself, and that's great. Yeah. But if it's not going to sell, then it's not going to keep the lights on. It's not going to pay the landlord. It's not going to buy more malt for the next batch. I've, right had, the, I've had this debate with uh, a couple of chefs on the podcast. And Cody Dedeshu, who is one of the owners at Defi, was the first to say... See, I look at somebody like you two and Cody as artists. And thank you. Cody looks at it as a, uh, he looks at himself as he's a craftsman. It's something that he goes in every day and he does. And, you know, I, I remember this book I read. And I've talked about it before with Eric Alderman, but this book I read of this musician, this band, they just released their new album. They're playing this, this show at like the Hollywood Bowl or whatever it was. And. Their manager comes back like an hour before they go on stage and says, all the record uh, execs are here and they want to hear you play this song and this song. And they're all the hits from their old stuff. Sure. 
Well, their set list that night was all the new stuff, like all the funky, weird, esoteric. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they re- have this like wrestling match amongst the band, uh, you know, verbal wrestling match on. Do they play the hits to appease the execs, or do they put their original set list out there, which is their artistic expression? Sure. And ultimately, they went with that. They went with the new stuff. Yep. And the, and the entire book is uh, around this concept of if you're an artist, you just create and then hope that people appreciate it. So, and, and I can see that point of view. Um, one of the things that, um, especially us in the craft space have to remember is, you know, we, we talk about saturation. We mentioned it earlier. We're 22 not, in Onondaga County. We're not, <laughs> um, we're not growing the beer market. So all of you look at craft's growth in the last 20 years, you look at uh, beer consumption in America in the last 20 years, and they tell two different stories. Hmm. So except for two odd years, uh, 07, 08, because of the hop shortage, and there was one other year where it dipped below um, hmm. double-digit growth, the craft space has just seen phenomenal growth in the last 20 years. And at the same time, Americans are drinking less beer. Hmm. And so... Um, the the way you square that circle is that we're not creating customers. We are converting customers. Yeah. So we have generations of people who were raised on American light lager whether, or Canadian light lager, depending <laughs> on your proximity to Canada. And our job is to, one of our goals is to bring people into the pool. So you don't take somebody who's never swam before and push them into the deep end. Yeah. It's all you're going to do is upset them. My and dad did that to me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. That makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> That's why he is the way he is. Um, so I find you, you're, you're, if I want to recommend something to somebody, if I've already got a uh, track record with them of putting something in front of them, they're like, yeah, okay, I can drink that. Then the next time I go at them to say, hey, here's something slightly out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Give it a shot. And that's how we get people. Now, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you don't have guys out there who are stupid talented making crazy delicious beers that are automatically converting people um, in something that is very non-traditional from, yeah. from their palate standpoint. Um, my tack on it is, again, you know, we make cream ale because 87% of all beer sold in America is American light lager. Mm. And so that's my market. Mm. And, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm an analytics guy. Um, I know there are guys out there who call themselves artists. I personally don't. Yeah. Um, I've never thought of myself as an artist. Creativity for me has always been mm. um, uh, something I've never thought I possessed. Mm. Um, I look at things uh, very logically. Um, it's just who I am. Yeah. Um, and so for me to look again to the, the homework that I've done, the, what the data is telling me says, let's get these guys on board. There's, hmm. there's millions of customers yeah. out there who they look at craft as this weird, like, you know, cheese in a can. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I don't eat that. <laughs> I got one of our bartenders here. She used to hate IPAs in general. Really? I transitioned her over. Now she drinks any kind of IPA that hmm. you can think of. But it started off with, you know, yeah, the cream ale. Yep. And then you get them to try another flavor, you know, Correct. like we have the MBA yeah. right now, which is 
Mike's uh, Mike's beer, the maple, maple bacon, bacon all, all beer. beer. Yeah. And, uh, that's your fa- that's your favorite. So no, it it was just um, it, because he has his MBA. MBA. Yeah. So, so right. we had to come up with something that had a three letter oh. acronym that was MBA. Yeah. Oh. That's pretty funny. And it's dark. And so and you know, I kind of <laughs> I kind of shit on myself a little bit about creativity. I've gotten much better. Yeah, you know, I look at it as my my journey into cooking. So when I started, I started with baking. It's yeah. logical. It's right. precision. It's chemistry. It's, well, it can it, be, but if the weather's off. Well, and that, but that's humidity is just another variable to be controlled for. And so for me, <laughs> it's um, it, it very much appealed to me. Yeah. yeah. So right. when I started cooking, I would literally like the recipe would call for a half teaspoon of salt. I would yeah. literally measure out a half teaspoon really? of salt. Of, and because yeah. that for me, that's mm. how you did it. And I've learned to kind of let go on that. And one of the ways I do feel that I'm somewhat creative is I've begun to understand how flavors play with each other, yeah. how they are either complementing or contrasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how that works. And I've gotten, you know, I'm, you know, now I just grab handfuls of salt and, yeah. and in it goes and, and I've learned my techniques and I've learned to combine them in ways that I don't need a recipe. I just know they're going to work. Mm-hmm. And that's just experience. Um, but again, you look at something like maple, bacon, mm-hmm. all beer, maple and bacon is just a natural combination. And then all beer is just, it's a rich, bready, mm-hmm. uh, malty, mm-hmm. uh, German ale that, Come on, it's you know it's it's a it's a McGriddle in a yeah. glass. <laughs> so um, again, but, but that doesn't Playing change. Playing and having fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, well about, and right you know? without a doubt, and and that's one of the reasons why I love Michael is he's much more creative in that mm. sense than I am. Yeah. Um, I I um, I look at myself like that's the, just like when I make chili, I I do it to taste. Yeah. I could never yeah. recreate it the same. Yeah. Every time. Mm. And. It's yeah, just, I'm kind of the same way with that in cooking. I just look at myself like the inflatable uh, gutter balloons in a in a game of bowling. Yeah. So I just let Mikey throw the ball down the lane, and I try and keep, you know, if there's <laughs> something that's going to be real wackadoodle, yeah. um, I'll maybe give him a nudge. <laughs> but for the most part, I want him creating. I want him out there um, yeah. um, uh, exercising that creativity because, again, I'm I'm a process guy. I'm, I'm a logical um you know, our first beers were very true to style. Like, yeah. you know, these are my style guidelines. I shall fall within them. <laughs> so and the, he, he swore that he would never make New England or, or sours ever. And that's our best selling beers right now. <laughs> yep. And that was, and, yeah. and to be honest with you, that was me ignoring the market. Yeah. And but, I was, and it was, it was a principled stand that had no real basis in reality. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think it's, I forget who it is. It may be Gary Vaynerchuk, but. I hear one of the podcast entrepreneurs I listen to, you know, says all the time, the market tells you if you're right or you're wrong every single day. Yes. So does Square. Yeah. 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 Without a doubt. <laughs> right. Without a doubt. They, well, they help us to understand whether we're right or wrong. And, and it's, it, you know, it's funny. We have a, a pineapple milkshake, New England, mm-hmm. that we call Radioactive Pond Water. Yeah. And the name came from, um, his name is escaping me right now, the, one of the owners of Grimm. Was 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 talking about yep. actually, Mikey was reading the article to me. We were we were driving and somewhere. Yeah, yeah, go was, ahead. It was just like I was like, you know, naming a beer that because it, it's just it, it it is what it is. Like it looks like something that came out of the Ninja Turtles movie, or you know, <laughs> something like that. It's just well, and it was so. What it was is the the um the owner of Grimm was um lamenting this. Uh, market fascination, obsession, if you will, with New England IPAs, 
and how breweries nowadays, you know, in the past, breweries would take a year, sometimes two, to nail a recipe. They would tweak it here and there. They would dial it in, and then that was the recipe. Nowadays, breweries, they make something, and it's on to the next thing. They make something, and it's on to the next thing because our consumers are are so much in need of uh, Hmm. novel stimulation. Yeah. And so, you know, in the article, he's like, it's on to the next batch of radioactive was, pond water. Yeah, it was, it was because hmm. he, I think he put out a glass of orange juice. Yeah. He put out a glass of orange juice and it had the most likes that really? it's had. Because yeah. it so, looked like a New England. so then he put out a post like, all you people and your hazy IPAs. Really? You know, what, what happened to traditional beer? Where is, where is beer going now? Yeah. And you have places like Mortalis out in New York. They, they do some really solid stuff. But it's more of the fruit puree that they use in their sours yep. to like really ramp mm. it up, and like you know, other people stay traditional. Uh, mm. You know, I try to have my fun, but still have some traditional beers on it as yep. well. And it's hard because the market is what constantly it demanding yeah. Yeah. to be stimulated. And I think I think it's a it's a a side effect of our constant connectedness. So you have every organization that runs a business is in some way arguing for your attention. Yeah. And so they're constantly, any way that they know how, they're constantly bombarding you with something that's designed to grab your attention. And so as a consequence of that, our attention span, our, you know, um, if you will, our love of tradition has declined. And yeah. I don't, I'm not here to make a value judgment on whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's me seeing trends in my market. And so um, it's, you know, we can argue about what is craft beer. Yeah. Is, you know, is Lagunitas craft beer? Is Sierra Nevada craft beer? Then we can argue is a, um, a sour that's 40% fruit puree. Is that a beer? Yeah. Again, I'm not here to make value judgments. I'm not here. I'm just saying this is what the market demands. This is what we do. Um, To get back to where this started, Mikey dragged me kicking and screaming into what the market wants. And it's it's funny that, Mm. you know, the creative guy was the one who told the analytic guy, hey, this (laughs) is what your market's fucking telling you. (laughs) So, yeah. You know, it's um, you know, it, it makes me wonder kind of like what the future of that is. Mm. But the transition sucked. I'll tell you that yeah. with with trying oh, to trans- yeah. with trying to get the New England's dialed in before yeah. we had a little bit yeah. of a problem until a two o'clock in the morning brew day when we were like putting all the shit away after <laughs> just like the worst brew. We're day never ever. doing that again. And I looked up on the shelf and seen a racking arm, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" And I was like. Because I process everything, I I was like, if we put that in there and did a hop drop, we're gonna hmm. we're gonna end up pulling all our product from above. It's gonna drop down. We're gonna make it. And <laughs> ever since then, we've we've pl- uh, plugged the plate chiller, so now we don't put it through there yeah. anymore. And then so and figured out our lessons as we learned. And you know? that's that's Michael's genius. You know, we have a lot of when we're making New Englands because of the process required to make New Englands. There's a lot of what brewers refer to as Trub or trub, mm-hmm. uh, depending on where you're from, and um, if that gets into the process down the line post brewing, it can cause problems. And so, um, after one particularly late night brewing session, thank you, um, National Grid, we had a power pole snap yeah, yeah. and it shut down our brew day for eight hours. But <laughs> we got back to it, and, we, and it's two in the morning, and we're all punchy, and <laughs> and we made some poor decisions. 
but a we learned from them and and again he just like he literally looked over at a shelf that yeah. had this racking on my he's like well what what if and that's again one of the things that I really appreciate about him is the the, the gears just click. Is one is it difficult for you both to have to work with a product that you don't know what what you're doing now is going how it's going to affect it for X number of days or? Part of it is you get a you get a sense there yeah. there is wisdom that comes with yeah. um, um, doing things again and again. Um, I do know exactly how it's going to turn out. No. 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 But, yeah. as, but long as, as long as you uh, stick to your true process and make sure that you clean, clean, clean the yeah. whole way through and make sure that, you know, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing in beer. You're you're mm. a glorified janitor. Yeah, that's the message for that's yeah. the message for any of your listeners who are thinking about getting into do brewing. Wanna, do you want to be a brewer? Do you, well, do you like cleaning? Just, yeah. Do you All like right. cleaning? Do you really want to have a life? Because this is going to be your life. Yeah. It makes me happy to know that no, the uh, no matter the amount of training or education I could go through, I could never do what either one of you do. And don't try and talk me out of that. I don't know about That's that. That's just what See, I believe. I'm, I'm always hands-on, though. That I, yeah. I've, learned, I've learned to do every job that I've done hands-on. But I, I know not. I couldn't because I couldn't handle a delayed result. I need to, Fair enough. Like, for example, we have these photography classes that we're starting to do. Mm-hmm. And I posted it last night. I did an Instagram story. And God damn it, if there aren't 10 sales within that first hour, I'm like, fuck, this sucks. Yep. Like, I want the result. Right away, right then. as soon as yep. I do it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that begs the question, are you using any of Dogfish Head Super 8 as developer? <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is, folks. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We've got some awesome things coming up for Eat Local CNY. We have a dinner on June 18th at Tassone's Wine Garden in Baldwinsville. June 16th, we have a food photography class taught by Chris Johnson from We Eat CNY, who, in my opinion, is one of the more talented food photographers in the area right now. And the class is $35. It's meant for everybody, whether you're shooting pictures when you go out to dinner on your iPhone or on a professional camera, if you're posting them just to your local Facebook food group, if you're a business owner and you're trying to up your social media game, and you want to know how to take those amazing pictures. Again, no matter if you're on your phone or your camera, you do not want to miss this class. Uh, it's going to be part, Chris is going to teach you his techniques, show you his gear and how he does what he does. And then another part of it, we're going to have food brought out and you're going to be able to take pictures of those items and kind of put into practice what you just learned from Chris. And so it's June 16th, 10 a.m. Class is $35. It's going to be held at Cafe Cabal in downtown Syracuse. You can head over to eatlocalcmy.com, buy your tickets, get more information. And don't forget to pick up your Eat Local CMY card for $20. It's that $5 reusable coupon at over 100 locally owned restaurants. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week where we have part two of this conversation with the guys from IBU.